Welcome to Commons and Chronicles, the podcast where we talk about all the best creative commons and reusable open game license content. If you need resources for your creative writing, game design, or you just love lore, Commons and Chronicles is for you. The Beasts of Pellucidar. Well, first of all, let's let's go to the the manufactured beasts, and there is one uh, within the public domain. And it is called the Iron Mole, which I think I mentioned earlier. David and Perry drive to the Earth's core in what Perry invents and calls the Iron Mole. It is a big tank. It has a corkscrew nose that drills through rocks. And that's something worth mentioning, because that's that's the kind of steampunk kind of contraption that Pellucidar would... that would kind of go really well in Pellucidar. Certainly if you're trying to capture any kind of flavor of Pellucidar, then going with constructs and golems and and clockwork beings from any one of your favorite bestiaries or monster manuals or tome of beasts would be perfect. It would work out quite quite nicely. And of course Cobalt Press famously has quite a bit of that, like Zobek. Um, the the Zobek setting has a bunch of clockwork types of stuff, so you could you could go nuts with that, and it would go right, it would fit right into into place in Pellucidar, not just because of the Iron Mole, but but because of some of the later later stories from Pellucidar. But that's not in the public domain, so I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just saying, flavor-wise, it would kind of fit in. And certainly, you can't get any more steampunk than Jules Verne, and by extension, Edgar Rice Burroughs. Okay, so um, there are the Deeriths a colossal beast closely resembling a bear, as long as large as the largest elephant and with great forepaws armed with huge claws. Its nose or snout deepened nearly, uh, depended nearly a foot below its lower jaw, almost a rudimentary trunk. The giant body was covered by a coat of thick, shaggy hair. It has a thunderous roar. And from what I have read online, this is a megatherium. M-E-G-A-T-H-E-R-I-U-M. Megatherium. So you can look up megatherium if you want to see kind of what the Deerith is supposed to, supposed, supposedly like. It can pull trees down with its brute strength because it is, despite its great size, an herbivore. So it, it'll trundle through forests and knock down trees and characters will think that they're being hunted by something horrible and ferocious, and it turns out that actually they're just in the way of a very hungry leaf eater. So that's the Deerith. There is also the Hyenodon. Now the Hyenodon are big wolves. That's that's all they are, is big, great big wolves. Very ferocious, they run in packs, they will tear you limb from limb. However, they can be domesticated. And in fact, in Pellucidar, there is one uh, named Raja, or, or one that gets named Raja that gets domesticated and and is a, a faithful companion. So for the ranger types or the druid types, a hyenodon would, would be perfect. That's not the official name, the hyenodon. It's just what Perry ends up calling them. I think there's a, a different name that sometimes get to call that, that they sometimes get called, but uh, they, they call it hyenodon so much that that's just kind of stuck for me. There is the plesiosaurs of the Lies, or the Lias, the L-I-A-S. Around a great salt sea there dwell seal-like creatures with long necks that stretch more than ten feet above their enormous bodies, and whose snake-like heads are split 
with gaping mouths bristling with countless fangs. And those are, from, from what they say in the book, basically plesiosaurs. There are also tandorazes, or tandors of the sea, right? Because a Z means a sea or a river. So these are the tandorazes. There are, um, the, the, they are huge tortoises, pretty much, which paddle about with other big, big reptiles. It is not explicitly described how ferocious these things are. All you need to know is that they're very, very large, and and presumably they could be ferocious if, if, if required to be. There are also ichthyo- ichthyosaurs, which, uh, if I recall correctly, also appears in Jules Verne. Uh, locally, though, these are called asdiriths, so sea diriths, diriths of the sea. They resemble whales with the head of an alligator. They battle either the plesiosaurs or the tandorazes, or probably both. Um, there's a passage describing sort of how these creatures interact, and I wasn't sh- 100% sure which they it was talking about, whether it was talking about the plesiosaurs or the tandorazes. But I'm going to assume that an ichthyosaur, if you look at it uh, and imagine it being a very large creature that exists, I could see it battling both or either, really, on any given day. There's also something called a sadok, S-A-D-O-K. They don't really describe it in either of these two books, so I'm not sure what it is, but I wanted to mention the name. And there's also a Ramphorhynchus. that's R-H-A-M-P-H-O-R-H-Y-N-C-H-U-S. And again, I don't exactly know what that is either, so I'm not going to comment. Now, we also have the Tarag, or Tarag. Did I just say the same thing twice? T-A-R-A-G, Tarag. It's the giant tiger of the inner world. And here's the description. And now, as the two stood frozen in terror, I saw the author of that fearsome sound creeping stealthily into view. It was a huge tiger, such as hunted the great bows through the jungle's primeval when the, when the world was young. In contour and markings, it was not unlike the noblest of the Bengals of our own world, but as its dimensions were exaggerated, the colossal proportions, so too, were its colorings exaggerated. Its vivid yellow fairly screamed aloud, its whites were as eiderdown, its blacks glossy as the finest anthracite coal, and its coat long and shaggy as a mountain goat. That is, that it is a beautiful animal there is no gainsaying, but if its size and colors are magnified here within Pellucidar, so is the ferocity of its disposition. He mentions a bow, B-O, in that, in that passage, and as it turns out, apparently there's a thing that we call a bow, a prehistoric bow, B-O, but what they call it in Pellucidar is a thag, T-H-A-G, It's basically a giant bull with cloven hooves and a tail that lashes viciously from side to side. And when I say viciously, I do mean pretty vicious. It's pretty... um, I I got the impression that the tail could deal quite some damage. So it's it's not... I don't... I didn't get the impression that it was just for flavor, the tail lashing from side to side. I could be wrong, though. Um, Also, up in the mountains, there's the polar bears, which I don't know the... The, the local name of, but they're basically polar bears, or maybe they're ice deeriths, I'm not sure. They're up in the mountains, gigantic bears prowl for much-needed prey, and they do it, like, all the time. They, they're they apparently extremely hungry animals because they were the main threat in the icy in the icy mountains. There are also fish in all of the rivers, including warm-blooded fish and whale-like creatures. There are many, many reptilian beasts all over the place. Here's one, here's a description of one. 
and then about him coiled the great slimy folds of a hideous monster of that prehistoric deep, a mighty serpent of the sea with fanged jaws and darting forked tongue, with bulging eyes and bony protuberances upon its head and snout that formed short, stout horns. There are thipdars, that's T-H-I-P-D-A-R-S, those are pterodactyls. They are interestingly used by mahars as mounts. And I say interesting because a lot of the Mahars, some of the Mahars, anyway, have wings. Um, but from what I can tell, they don't actually utilize them. Or maybe they do only for short distance. I'm not sure which. But they do definitely ride pterodactyls. I don't know. I find that very heavy metal. Take it as you will. I think it's pretty cool. There's also a Labyrinthodon. Uh, you can look it up on Wikipedia. It's basically a big alligator, from what I can tell. I I'm not really too too good at biology or you know ancient biology but to me it looks like a really big alligator so that's a labyrinthodon there's also an orthopy which i don't exactly know what that is and then finally last but not least are the lidi these are enormous quadrupeds 80 or 100 feet long with tiny heads perched at the top of very long necks their heads must have been 40 feet from the ground the beasts moved very move very slowly, that is, their action was slow, but their strides cover such a great distance that in reality they travel considerably faster than a man could walk. They are the amounts of people from Thoria. So you'll remember that Thoria is the land in and around the land of the Awful Shadow. And so the Thorians have tamed and, and ride around on what to me sounds like a brontosaurus. I, I don't know. I mean, and again, maybe someone with a better knowledge of, of ancient reptiles would, would know better from that description. But to me, that just says, okay, brontosaurus. And, and maybe there is something possibly better than a brontosaurus to ride around on, like a stegosaurus or something. But um, either way, they're big, big quadrupeds. I mean, it sounds like a brontosaurus to me. Um, and and they're being ridden by these these warriors of Thoria, and that's got to be pretty terrifying. And it's pretty interesting, I think, that the Thorians haven't gone round conquering other lands, uh, much less Mahars, because they've got dinosaurs that they ride. It seems pretty significant to me. But they kind of keep to themselves, and since they do dwell in and around the land of the Awful Shadow, I get the impression that a lot of other places, a lot of other creatures, Mahar, Sagoth, human, or otherwise, I think they kind of stay away from that area, because it's, it's considered dismal, and possibly dangerous and mysterious. And that's it. That is the public domain portion of the realm of Pellucidar. I think one thing that I might mention here that that didn't really fit into any other place was the effect of the of the arrival of of modern man and that is by the second book they they've introduced things like gunpowder and and a, a rifle and a revolver so you have some interesting prose about how a, a stone age or 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 a, a pre-iron age I guess person might and and even creatures might react to the presence of a gun and that was that was interesting because i've often wondered in for instance in pathfinder i mean in D D as well but I, I feel like in pathfinder it's it's very much accepted that that gunslingers are a thing like it's 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 not super uncommon in pathfinder for that to be on the table because there are 
not not in the hand not in the core rule book but but not too far away from the core rule book there there's a class for that sort of thing so it's it's pretty easy to integrate gun mechanics into your game and i've always kind of wondered about whether or, or how gunfire would be viewed in a in a fantasy setting and i think that the immediate reaction would be well it's a form of magic it is a form of kind of mechanized magic and it may as well be right i mean chemistry to most of us is magic so might as well just consider a device that that kills from a distance with with an an almost unseen um, missile that may as well be magic it's just very loud uh, and it has it's loud and dirty and messy but getting to read about it in 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 these books i just i i felt like it was it really was kind of saying something about the effect of modern technology on 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 a society that that basically has no technology i mean some of the some of the groups of humans in in pelucidar possibly all uh, in these two books at least had hadn't even made bows and arrows so they weren't even that you know range Killing at a range was not even something that they that it wasn't even possible at all. It was just not even something that they could do. So to see it in the form of of bows and arrows, and then quick in quick progression to see it in the form of gunfire, must have been pretty world pretty world changing. And indeed, it is, and that's kind of addressed a little bit in the second book. Now that said, we do know that Mahars themselves have maybe not magic, maybe psionics. Or, or maybe it's just that they happen to be in tune with more of reality than the average human is, and so they can they can leverage these things. I mean, they have hypnotism. They can do a, a, a very profound form of mind control. And at one point, the main character, David Innes, has fallen into uh, this pool of water where there had been Mahars recently. And the first thing that comes to his mind is... What if I'm not alone? What if they've hypnotized me and all, and I believe that I'm alone right now? And in reality, they're just, they, they, I might not even have a right arm right now. They may have just ripped that off. They might be nibbling on my face right now. So it's, it's a, it's a danger. There, there is magic in this world of, of sorts, whether it's, it's psionic powers or whether it's good old fashioned gunfire. Pellucidar isn't just sticks and stones. It's got a lot more going on there once modern man invades. But there are dinosaurs. So it's a great, great setting. It is it is the setting of the jungles of Chult. It is the setting of the Mwangi Expanse. It, it is those things, except this is the original version of both. And hopefully this episode has helped you envision it and get a clear picture of, of what it was all about maybe gives you some ideas for your own weird tales. Thanks for listening. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Klaatu. You can reach me uh, via email at klaatu at member.fsf.org. You can also usually catch me in IRC as not Klaatu. I'm on the Freenode Network. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.